K-A-L-W. This is TBH. I'm Cho Song Tenzin, a senior at Oakland Tech. And I'm Hannah Nee, a recent graduate of Presentation High School and a freshman at the University of Chicago. This podcast is made by, about, and for teenagers. And for anybody else who wants to hear what's on our minds. Today's show is all about representation. Right now, the United States is experiencing a massive demographic shift. Children of color are projected to be the majority of youth in the United States this year. The entire country is poised to become majority minority by 2045. That's the year non-Hispanic whites are expected to no longer make up the majority of the country. This change in demographics should mean a significant rise in representation of people of color and women in politics. Unfortunately, that shift isn't happening fast enough, and a lot of the media we're consuming and growing up with does not reflect this diversity. We'll start with a commentary from a San Francisco high school student. She's frustrated with the expectations society still puts on young girls and women. My name is Jasmine Lau, and I'm a junior at Abraham Lincoln High School. My social justice issue is sexism or stereotypes. As a girl, I've always been told to act a certain way, like girls should always wear dresses or makeup or know how to cook or be organized. I have very traditional Chinese parents and they always want girls to be what they should be, but I guess I don't really fit that concept of this stereotypical girl because I always liked STEM concepts or like science, math, coding. And once when I was in middle school, I was the only girl in my coding class. And then sometimes I felt kind of isolated or separated from the other boys because the boys didn't really treat me well, I guess, because I was a girl and they might think that I might not know as much as they do. I don't think sexism will change me because I don't think other people should judge because of their gender and I hope it will be better in the future in jobs and such that women will not be judged because of how they look. Jasmine's story resonates with me. I've also sometimes felt like my inherent value and dignity was solely linked to my appearance and my etiquette. This mindset comes from my experiences in society, for instance, through interactions with my relatives. They expected a certain politeness and submissiveness from me that wasn't expected of my brother. The way women are portrayed in media isn't good enough. Women should be highlighted for their minds as scientists, historians, engineers, not for their bodies, not for anything that conforms to modern stereotypes. And this applies to all genders and races, not just women. In middle school, just watching a video with a diverse group of girls having fun in STEM, that made me feel confident enough to explore the field. Now I'm in my third year in the engineering academy at my high school. We need to see equity issues addressed in every aspect of our culture. That includes something seemingly benign but ubiquitous, video gaming. 
In light of the Black Lives Matter protests, many stories have come out exposing gaming companies for racist depictions in their games. And while many companies have announced support for the movement and promised to be more aware about racism within their games and companies, many gamers are skeptical. For today's show, I reported on gaming and why the lack of representation of marginalized communities in gaming leadership must change. An enemy has been slain. Ha! I love how I just came in there, guns blazing, and then ended up. No, don't go, don't go so far up. Don't go so far up when there are no. I'll go back to base. Oh, yeah, stand behind your blue minion. Uh, okay. How do I not be killed? Please teach me how to do that. That's the sound of me and my friend Ivy playing League of Legends, a wildly popular online fantasy war game where the goal is to destroy your enemy's base. The game has spawned a global esports industry and boasts millions of players across the world. Last year, the game earned $1.5 billion. It's just one of a broader roster of popular action and action adventure video games of its kind, where gamers must complete objectives while interacting with other players to level up and gain rewards. Ivy and I defy traditional stereotypes of what gamers look like. We're young women, not boys hunched in a darkened room, face lit by the glow of a screen. And surprisingly, the video game community is filled with people just like us. In 2020, women accounted for nearly 41% of all gamers in the United States. 41%. Yet, the gaming industry isn't tailored towards people like me and Ivy. Alright, now I gotta see who shot me. Who was it? Aha! You ain't Hawkeye. Tanya DePass is the founder of the nonprofit I Need Diverse Games and an avid gamer of role playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons. Most games don't show a black female character at all, let alone in the lead. And if we are in a game, we're usually killed, or we're the joke, or we're the sassy friend, or, you know, we're the magical Negro that sacrifices ourselves so the white protagonist can have a reason to go on and learns their humanity along the way. She's referring to supporting characters like Vivian in the action role-playing video game Dragon Age Inquisition. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Vivian, first enchanter of Mont-Simard and enchantress to the Imperial Court. Vivienne was considered non-romanceable and someone who only got ahead through entering a relationship with an older white man. And Kenneth Sullivan from Resident Evil, a survival horror video game whose short storyline in the game was to be devoured by a zombie to give the players vital info. In many of these cases, Black characters exist, live and die around a narrative that isn't their own. Kashana Gray, a professor at the University of Illinois Chicago, agrees. She says that many Black video game characters are seen as violent or given roles as the sidekick or the help in service of white characters. Stereotypical and prejudiced portrayals don't stop at racial minorities, however. 
In the past few years, researchers found that 80% of female characters in video game magazines are portrayed as sexualized, scantily clad, or as cliches of beauty. And what's more concerning is these portrayals could negatively impact gamers' mindsets in the real world. At Iowa State University, for instance, researchers studied more than 13,000 adolescents and found a small but significant association between video game exposure and sexist attitudes and behaviors. They noted that current games may be subconsciously implanting cues in their players through their depictions of female characters. Like in the game Grand Theft Auto, where players are provided few options of how to interact with female characters. You can either pay them for sex. Hey, baby. Tell me I'm your favorite girl, baby. Look at them or kill them. <laughs> Bottom line, the representation of gender and racial minorities in the gaming industry needs to change. Unsurprisingly, people of color only make up 13% of game industry employees. And while just under a third of the gaming industry identify as female, transgender, or another gender, they make up almost half of gamers in the U.S. DePass believes this discrepancy hinders change, and there needs to be more people who look like her, or people from minority backgrounds developing games. As long as there's a majority of white dudes making the video games, we're not going to see that representation. And it may or may not be malicious, but if you are always the majority, when are you forced to think about anyone else? Latoya Peterson, a Black entrepreneur and lifelong gamer in Washington, D.C., knows this. That's why she co-founded Glow Up Games along with game designer Mitu Kandaker and developer Tara Mustafa. The company's goal is to create games for underrepresented gaming communities by people who look like them. If you put all people of color together, all women of color together, everybody that's essentially not the current market demographic, which is like a young white man, even older white men would fit into this outsider demographic, right? If you put all that together, that is a majority share. It's a huge percentage of the population. It's a huge percentage of who's actually playing games. But those communities are underrepresented. Latoya's company is currently working on a mobile video game based on the hit HBO TV show, Insecure. I just want to be confident, brave me. I want to be that person. Let's have fun tonight. In case you're not familiar with it, it's a comedy drama centered around the friendship of two young Black women navigating life in Los Angeles. And most importantly, it is designed by, for, and about women of color. The game allows them to further engage in a world where they see themselves represented, where they are the central characters with agency. But developing the insecure game is not without its challenges. Latoya recalls facing trouble getting funding for her game. She says that big video game investors, who are mostly white, cisgender men, don't think games tailored towards traditionally underrepresented markets are valuable. We don't understand, like, you know, Asian American lives. We don't understand Black lives. We don't understand Latino lives. We don't see those. We don't know these stories. We don't know if this would be a good game to go into. Or this, we don't know if this is a game to invest in. We don't know if this is a game that we want to fund. That these stories are automatically discounted. So they never get made. 
And so then they're never seen, so then it doesn't inspire anybody else. The company's founders have also had trouble finding diverse video game designers and board members to help oversee the process and ensure that characters from marginalized backgrounds are accurately developed. You know, one of the things we talked about was having a board that reflected the diversity of our staff and the diversity of the world of gaming that we want. But when we looked at, like, who was executive level in video games that we could ask even to be on our board, um, who are black. So who do you go to? Who are your mentors? Who are the folks that can help you rise? And that can be a very, very difficult thing to find. Latoya says that there aren't many people of color serving in executive positions in the gaming industry because the business culture can be hostile to people who aren't young white men. There's a lot of benefit of the doubt given to like smart young white guys and maybe they don't have the leadership skill or maybe they're underdeveloping this or maybe their first game really tanked, but you know, they seem really smart. We're going to give them benefit of the doubt and give them another project to work on. Whereas that benefit of the doubt does not extend to women, does not extend to people of color, does not extend to women of color. And so you never get that next shot. And if you don't get that next shot, you don't really get that next job, those next opportunities. And if you add up all these issues together, it's apparent why marginalized game designers don't move up in the ranks. And if they do move up, why they don't stay. I'm not a gamer myself. The closest I get to gaming is Sudoku and the occasional Mario Kart. But I have friends like Ivy and a younger brother who are avid gamers, who play games where misogyny and racism are ingrained in the game design. And I'm worried for them. I'm worried about the culture and the psychological impact it could have on them, but I shouldn't have to be. For people like Tanya and LaToya, every day is a challenge. They face an uphill climb trying to change entrenched patriarchal norms in the gaming community. And unfortunately, not enough people are on their side. Even though their work is exhausting, they know it's worth it. Because every person, not just straight white men, belong in the gaming community. And it's time for us to stand with them. Thank you for that story, Hannah. I'm glad I could report about it. Cho, I was wondering, do you play video games? No, um, like you, I'm not an avid gamer, but I have witnessed my guy friends playing video games that explicitly degrade women, like Grand Theft Auto. How do you feel about that? Seeing women as mere purchases that the gamer is incentivized to kill definitely does not sit right with me. Your last message about representation was so powerful to me. I think even seeing more people of color and women represented as individuals in video games can send a huge message to millions of young gamers around the world. We'll wrap up today's episode with a virtual roundtable discussion we had with the other TBH producers. We asked the group about how social media has influenced the way they view the world. Hi, I'm Ava Richards. I live in Belmont, California, and I am a senior at Carmont High School. My name is Avery Dower. I'm 16. I live in San Francisco, and I go to Ruth Asawa School of the Arts. I'm Maddie Johnson. I live in San Francisco, and I'm going to be an incoming freshman at UC Berkeley. Hi, my name is Zara Emmeth, and I'm from Fremont, California, and I'm an incoming first year at Ohlone Community College. I think especially when you're younger, like playing with dolls or even like Disney shows and movies, like all like the princess movies and stuff, 
I feel like the characters are very one-dimensional and that can be really harmful when you're a young person because it must be like you have to be this one thing or you have to have this like like this one characteristic that defines you and you can't like this thing or you can't have you can't be feminine and masculine or that's wrong or you can't look like with dolls like you only have to look a certain way but you can't wear this type of clothes and I think that like really enforces like like all like with genders too like it really puts people into boxes I remember learning from my like youth advocacy group we did this like activity called like the gender stereotyping box and there was this whole thing called the Goldilocks effect of how like a lot of what media tells us to do it's either too much or it's too little it's never enough like we can't be one thing or the other and I think that's like a big thing when it comes to how we view ourselves and why we have like such a negative perception and low self-esteem as like teenagers when I was little I hated like everything to do with like girls because every like movie or tv show I saw like the girl was always you know like the weak one who was ditzy and you know was always going after all the boys and I was like I don't want to be like that and so I you know I'd only play with like things that were considered like more masculine you know like I had a bunch of dinosaurs and um that sort of thing and if I got a doll for Christmas I like hated it and I just feel like that was so harmful for me because I felt like being feminine was like a bad thing for so long because of how they were portrayed in like all types of media and I just think that that's such a harmful way to grow up and it's the same for like anything like it can be harmful to see like yourself in this one type of position and um it's something that like I really wish that I didn't have to grow up with because I just thought that being feminine was like evil for the longest time I was um actually thinking about like dolls and how most of them are white um and i feel like there's this article or there was a story about kind of how that puts into young kids minds that like that's what's beautiful and that's like how like media can influence us negatively at a young age because we don't really think about that but it's something that kind of shifts our mind as we grow older of like beauty standards and things like that. I think we're seeing a lot more diversity, both of appearance and of content in the past few years. I mean, just off the top of my head, some examples that I can think of are, it's a lot more common to have plus size models these days. And this year, the Victoria's Secret fashion show is actually canceled. That's been, you know, sort of a mainstay of what the traditional feminine woman should look like and that's finally over so stuff like that i think we're headed in a really positive direction i know i'm i'm a little not biased but like i care about this because it's part of my identity but we're talking about a lot about race gender class all that stuff but there's a lot of in film and movies not only physical disabilities but mental disabilities and how that's portrayed and i think that's also really important to have consultants on that end so that you're not perpetuating stereotypes. Like the biggest example I can think of is uh, people with Tourette's. A lot of times in the media, the only tick that is portrayed is them cussing as loud as possible every eight seconds. And that's like simply not true. There are many other characteristics. And I think just stuff like that, where along with disability, like culture and race and stuff, where you 
are respectful of everybody and make sure you're, but that's something I wanted to bring up. There are people who are trying to like break these stereotypes and like more female directors are trying to like make the film industry a more like welcoming place for all different types of people. And I feel like, I guess it's made me more hopeful for the future that things are going to change and people are going to be able to see themselves in big media and feel like they're represented and that um, they're not being used to fit a certain stereotype or anything. Those were the voices of Zara F. Mudd, Maddie Johnson, Avery Dower, and Ava Richards. As I mentioned before, the demographics of this country are changing. All types of traditionally minority groups in terms of race, sexual orientation, and gender are increasingly growing. And it's time for our leaders to not just listen to us, but be us. This has been TBH a podcast from KLW Public Radio. Our editors and instructors are Holly J. McDeed and Sarah Lee Sterland. Our engineers are Christopher Gusa and James Rollins. Awan Mance made our artwork. Dawood Anthony made our music. Our content manager is Shireen Adele. Executive director is Ben Trefney. This project was made possible with support from the Association for Continuing Education, the California Arts Council, and California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit calhum.org. In the next episode of TBH, we're taking on online influencers and the cash behind cancel culture. These platforms are generating billions and billions of dollars, right, out of your emotions, out of your attention, right? And the longer you stay on the screen, it's like ching, 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 ching. That's next time on TBH. I'm Cho Song Tenzin. And I'm Hannah Nee. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.